Welcome to the Citizens Youth Podcast. Citizens Youth is a ministry of LifePoint Church in Vancouver, Washington. Citizens is a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, check out lpcvan.com forward slash youth. Jake, come on down, Jake. Jake was one of those guys over there that I just, I looked at him and I said, I kind of want to be like that, right? Like, not his personality, I didn't want to try to imitate him, but there was a character to his life, there was a substance that as a young man, you know, looking at a dude five, six years older than me, you're an old man, you're an old man, dude, we both have kids here, what are we doing? But uh, this is a guy, friends, that I'm introducing to you, that he's more than just doing this. He has a lot to say, so you're going to listen to him. But this is the kind of guy, right, that you go, man, what do I want my life to be about? What kind of person do I want to be? You want to be like this guy, all right? So without further delay, I want you to welcome, with the loudest welcome you can muster, Jake Gamble. You guys are awesome. It's always like really fun to be introduced by people that you respect, um, and Sam is a guy that I definitely respect, and uh, I, I almost made a joke, like, I want to be like Sam when I grow up, but now you all know that I'm way older than he is, so uh, that's, that's not fair. Um, I just want to be like Sam, end of sentence. Uh, so uh, thank you guys for having me. You guys doing all right? Excited? Who's ready to not sleep at all? Sixth, seventh, and eighth graders at. Hey, do not let those leaders sleep a week. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that to Listen, if you're in that cabin as a leader, you can just punch me later, right? Uh, the reality is you weren't going to sleep anyways. I think we all knew that coming in. So, my name is Jake. I'm super excited to be here. I was here last year, and uh, I brought my wife and kids with me. My two daughters are outside watching a movie because they don't listen to me. And um, my son is attached to my wife uh, physically by a device, and um, she's wearing him out that door there if you hear him screaming. Uh, so uh, we, we brought the whole crew, and we always joke that we wish we were like a simple family that could just like throw like, oh, what do we need, like two diapers and a you know, sleeping bag for all of us? Um, no, we brought a minivan full. All right, like so full that we could not fit more stuff in it, and uh, so it just a we are a like a big family. We travel loudly, and it, it matches us the rest of our lives. So thank you guys for having us. Um, I always wish when I come to stuff like this that I could like go play the games and like you know I was like watching like Sam like jump over the spike ball thing, like spike it between his legs, and like watching people run, and, like jump and catch a frisbee. And I'm always like, okay, I am a very old man. That's true. Like I can feel my muscles start to hurt just watching. So. Um, um, if you see me off to the side, like just throw me the frisbee nice and light because I don't want to jam my fingers and um, <laughs> take it easy on me. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I am super excited. Super excited. Um, I was standing back there and like I had never heard that last song that the band was playing. And I will tell you this. Uh, like I was listening to it and I was like, how awesome is it that there's a group of people in this room? I, don't, I think the number that I got was like 240 people um, plus in this room this weekend. So uh, over 200 people and we're singing about being like losers and rejects. Like nobody wanted us. 
and we were disregarded and cast aside. And like we're all like singing collectively. Like if you take minutes like that to just like step away from the moment and just be like, this is super weird, but awesome. Like like I wasn't like this is super weird. I need to go. Like I was like this is super weird and amazing. Particularly now, listen to me. Sam said he went through an existential crisis, meaning he was questioning like who he was and the meaning of life and all these other things. And many of you do that. Like he joked about every Thursday or every day because you're between the ages of like 11 and 24 and your frontal lobe is not fully developed and so you're like like scientifically you're not a finished human being like when people are like teenagers are crazy they're not just trying to be rude to you they're making a biological statement of truth like you have stuff shooting through your body that is designed to confuse you and like confuse everybody else around you and you can't make sense of it and you want other people to make sense of it but you speak like German and they're like what are you doing this makes no sense. Like, you do not have a fully developed brain, and because of that, many of you are going to question who you are. And the fact that 200 of us are in a room being like, we got nothing to prove. We're losers, we were unlovable, and God made us lovely. Like, that's awesome! That's such a cool thing that God is doing in your community. Because I will tell you this, when I was in seventh grade, I had a ton to prove. Like, like punch me in the stomach, and I was like... Right? Like, I just had these, like, I had so much to prove from the time I was in seventh grade. Like, before that, I don't think I knew what hair gel was. I maybe didn't know what deodorant was. I just wore sweatpants because they were easier to run in. And, like, it didn't matter, right? And then when you start getting, like, oh, you gotta wear these clothes, and you gotta talk this way, and you gotta do these things. Like, you had so much to prove. And the fact that you guys are a part of a community, and some of you have recognized this truth, that we as believers in Jesus have nothing to prove, is this beautiful unveiling of the, the human condition that we, we as that's what's attractive as Christians, and we go, there is something different here, because I don't have anything to prove, the one I believe in, Jesus proved it all. And that's what we're going to talk about this whole weekend. We're going to talk about him, how powerful and good he is. So I am super thankful that you have me uh, here. I hope that I do a, um, I'll call it an honorable job of being clear and, and getting to what I believe is the heart of the gospel in a few different ways. And we're going to go through three stories, all right? The next three nights, we're going to go through three stories. And um, I like stories because I think they're, all, they're easy for all of us to listen to. So if this is like your first time, if you're just brand new, and a friend invited you, or you're going through something right now, know that we're not going to try to survey the entire Bible. We're not going to unpack 1,500 Greek words. Like, that's, that's not what we're going to happen. We're going to talk about a, a three stories that I believe matter to all of us. All right? They matter in every one of our lives today, even though they happened thousands of years ago. So three stories, they're going to be from the Gospel of Mark, and before we get into the first story, I want to read a psalm and then pray, and this is Psalm uh, chapter 111, if you want to turn there. Um, at times in, in the church, uh, they'll do something called like a, a benediction or a reading of the scripture, and this is like to proclaim God's goodness. So we just sang about God's goodness, now I'm going to read an old song about God's goodness, then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to read a story from the Gospel of Mark, all right? Psalm chapter 111. If you have a title at the top of it, it says, Great are the Lord's works. Verse 1. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. 
Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. This is verse 8. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Let's pray. Father God, we are here for a lot of different reasons. And I wish I knew all of those reasons individually, but the truth is, God, my, my belief is that we are here collectively. All of us are here because you have done something. You are doing something. You, you have acted in a way that has won our hearts, and you are currently winning our hearts by the ministry of our friends, other people in this room, by, by the presence and the mercy of your love, and by the peeling back of our sinfulness and the recognition that we need something else. We need someone else. We cannot save ourselves. And so I pray, God, this weekend that, that tonight we would recognize that you are a big and powerful God who should be feared, but not in a way that, that makes us shy away, feared in a way that makes us draw near. So expose our hearts through this truth Use this story tonight, God, as we learn, as we grow together. In your good name, amen. amen. All right. Hey, Mark chapter 4. We're going to read Mark chapter 4. Um, I believe the passage is let's see, 35 to 41. Is that right? Yeah. That's the one. The title of the passage is Jesus Calms a Storm. This is one of my favorite stories um, this is actually one of my oldest daughter's favorite stories. So we read this in her, her little storybook Bible all the time, and she really likes this one. Uh, so what I like to do with stories in the Bible is I like to read the actual story. We're going to read it, and then we're just going to talk about it. And sometimes what I'll do is I'll read it, and then I'll unpack it. Like I'll, I'll start summarizing it in what I'll call today's language. And then we're going to try to draw out some different truths or different parts of this story that are going to help us see here today. Make sense? You guys with me on that? Yeah. You're awesome. All right. This is Mark chapter 4, verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, this is Jesus talking. Jesus says to his followers, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat. So that the boat was already filling. I don't know if you guys are boat people. If you're uh, aqua marine folks, your boat filling with water is a negative. Okay. Um, if you are out on open ocean and your boat starts to fill with water, do not go farther. You're not just like, ah, it's fine. We'll be okay. I think boats are supposed to fill with water. Um, I, I read that in the commentary. It was in an encyclopedia. Uh, verse 38. But he was, this is Jesus, he was in the stern, that's the back of the boat, asleep on the cushion, 
And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Verse 39, And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this? that even the wind and the sea obey him. It's a wild story. How many of you guys have heard that story before? A bunch of you. Most of you have heard that story before. Okay? If you haven't heard the story, that's okay. You just heard it for the first time. I hope it knocked your socks off. Because that is a weird story, man. Like, if... If you're not familiar with the Gospel of Mark, so uh, the New Testament has four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? They're all four written by different authors. All four authors have different purposes. Mark is the shortest Gospel, and if you read it, it sounds like it occurs over like three days. Like the pace of that book is like every single next section of the Gospel of Mark starts with, and then immediately Jesus left them, and then this happened. And then right away, Jesus walked away, and this dude fell down at his feet. And it's like like a movie that would happen in like an hour and a half, and you're like, how fast was this? And it's over the course of a lifetime, and the reason is, Mark is actually writing to a different group of people. So he's writing to uh, Gentiles, meaning non-Jewish people, and he's writing to probably believers or uh, future believers in Rome who are under persecution. So first, they don't have a ton of time. Like, if you have somebody who's going to kill you for reading the Bible, you're not like, let me set aside hours and hours of the day to read this outside my window, right? They're like trying to squeeze in little bits. Like, okay, you got that story, Jesus comes to him, perfect. Hey, I wasn't doing anything. Everything's cool here. Don't shoot me, please don't shoot me. Like, like you, you're squeezing in these little bits. And so he, when Mark writes this gospel, it's written to be read quickly in it's this torrid pace. And so he writes it so that you, like, take this in. And every story, it's like this epic story that happens. And then he just moves on to the next one. And so if you read it really fast, you can just kind of get, like, this very sort of familiar, like, oh, hold on, Jesus you know, brought a guy back from the dead. He's already done that once, so what? Like, but... If you don't stop to be amazed, then you need to slow down. Slow down. And and that's what I want to do. I want to zoom in on this story a little bit and just talk about it. Because here's what happens. Mark says, Jesus finishes his teaching. He's done talking, and he's tired. And he says, you know what? Let's get in the boat. Let's go to the other side of the water. Okay? This is not an uncommon event. Frequently, Jesus finishes teaching, and he's in like a natural amphitheater. Like a a, a large area where he could project, people would be able to hear him. And then when he finishes talking, to get away from the crowd, he would frequently just exit by boat. Like, so people would be like, oh, you gotta help me, you gotta do this. And so he would just be like, look, I'm exhausted. And he's gonna get in the boat with a bunch of his disciples. Now, any of you Bible scholars know what Jesus' disciples did for a living? What did they do before they met him? Fish. Fish. Yeah, they were fishermen. So they had a boat, right? My father-in-law has a boat. He lives in Alaska. I am not a boat person, right? He makes me take uh, the motion sickness medication before I get on the boat. It's like a rule that he has because if you vomit on the boat, apparently it's no fun for anybody. Uh, so, so like you, you have this experience. Jesus says, let's get on this boat. And they go over to the other side. And he's on the boat with professional fishermen. Remember, 
professional fishermen. And there's this really cool thing that happens in Mark. Um, there's, there's something called eyewitness details. And most commentaries or commentators would say that if you include eyewitness details, like really specific details, it's proof that you were there, right? So if I had heard about Citizens Camp last year and I was telling one of my friends to come, I'd be like, oh, you've got to go to the camp. They play all these crazy games. And then like the last big thing, they do this wild relay. And there was this one like bear man who, who would just eat anything, right? And people would be like, oh, that sounds weird. That's very odd. That's a crazy story. And I didn't really include that many details, right? But if I was like, oh my gosh, you've got to go to Citizens, man. Like the camp that I was at last year was absolutely nuts. They do this relay on the last day, and they do all kinds of crazy stuff, and there's this man there named Chris who will eat anything. <laughs> like, anything they put in front of him, they're like, a, a giant bucket of ice cream. He's like, ah, gone. <laughs> gone, right? And like, spaghetti mixed with syrup from Elf. And he's like, yep, still delicious. Like, it's, it's incredible. And people will be like, oh, his name is Chris, and he actually goes there. This guy must have seen it, right? That's an eyewitness detail. You know I was there. I witnessed the ninth wonder of the world, Mr. Chris Haney. <laughs> That's a real life thing, right? Now, Mark says, they get in the boat, and the boat starts to fill up with water, and Jesus was asleep in the back of the boat on a cushion, right? Like, he was like wearing the white robe and brown sandals, like he was asleep on a cushion. These are details that would lead you to believe that he was there. This is not just some, like, mythical sort of, oh, I heard about this story. This is a first-person account of somebody who watched this. Maybe Mark heard it specifically, right? This is a, a, an in-person account. And so the first thing that happens is Jesus sleeps. Right? They get in the boat. These professional fishermen are taking on water. Their boat is about to sink. Now, um, I mentioned that my father-in-law lives in Alaska. He's a boat guy. Uh, when, when I get on his boat, like, I'm just trusting him, right? Like, if, if you get on a boat and you don't, you're with somebody who doesn't know what they're doing... It is terrifying. Regular ocean waves are horrifying. Massive ocean waves where it says they were breaking over the top of the boat. I don't know if you know what that means. Like, like physically, the water is so high that the edge of the wave, when the wave turns over, like when a wave breaks, it's not just like, whoa. When the wave breaks, that's when it starts to get that foam and like it curls over. The wave is taller than the boat. And if you're in a boat where the waves are taller than the boat, get a bigger boat. <laughs> Don't keep, like, that is a horrifying experience. I mean, you are basically a toy in this open ocean, and it's horrifying. And these men who have been through many, many storms before start to panic. I mean, they are panicking, okay? And the reason I know that is they go down to Jesus and they say, Teacher, we're going to die. Like, I work in healthcare and we try to teach our staff that if, if they have, like, an emergency when they're documenting or charting the language, that you try to be, like, exact. You don't want to be like, Man, I was trying to help this lady and she started punching me in the face and that was crazy, son. Like, if you go back and read that later, it's, it doesn't come across well, right? You'd be like, What actually happened? Like, the fact that it says the disciples ran up, like, if they were just, like, a little bit afraid, the text would be like, and then the disciples went down, and they gently woke Jesus, and they're like, hey, the water's kind of rough, could you help us out? But I'm, I'm just guessing they were running down to shake this man and be like, we're going to die! Right? And Jesus is asleep on a cushion. <laughs> now, I'm just going to say this. 
if you are sleeping through a storm that terrifies professional fishermen, you have to know something the other guys don't. Like, you, you have to know something that everybody else on the boat doesn't know. Because Jesus is asleep, and everyone else is convinced they're going to die. And notice when they run up to Jesus, so Jesus is sleeping, and they run up to Jesus and they say, Teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? Like, they, they don't address him as Lord, right? They haven't quite recognized who they're following. They've agreed to follow him. But there's this sort of like teacher. You're the one with the wisdom. You're the, you're the wise guy. You're the one who's been teaching. You have the information to help us. We've seen you do these acts of power. But they're not going to him to say, calm the waves down. They're going to him to say, hey, grab a bucket, dude, and start heaving the water overboard or else we're going to be under the water. And that's not good. Like, they're, they're trying to get him to help. Physically, they are not asking him to demonstrate this power. And they go to him and they say, What do you do when you're sleeping? Can you wake up? Do you not care? We're going to die. And, and I, I fully believe that all of us either have had or will have a moment like that in life where we have encountered something so difficult and painful that we look to God and say, Where are you? Are you asleep? What are you going to do? I need your help. And we go to him and we ask him to help us start bailing water. Like, Lord, will you physically get me out of this situation? Because I'm going to die here and I want you to know that I, that I, I, I want you, I want to know that you care. I want you to help me. And the question that Jesus asks, this is the next thing he does. He, he wakes up and he's going to speak and he's going to ask them a question. And the question he asks them shifts the idea of what they're asking him. See, they say, don't you care that we're going to die? You're with us. We're going to die here. And Jesus says, look, it, it's not that I don't care. It's that if you're my followers, you're going to go through storms. He, he shifts the paradigm. They're, they're saying, don't you care? How can you let us go through this? And Jesus says, it's not how can I let you go through this. It's trust me. Trust me. So Jesus is asleep, and then Jesus is going to speak. And this really powerful thing happens. See, they wake him up, and he's asleep on a cushion, and Jesus wakes up, and he says three words. What are the three words Jesus says? Peace, be still. And, and the Bible uses this word. It says he rebukes the wind and the sea. And if you were to kind of do like a word study on the word rebukes, it means to correct as one who is misbehaving. It has this very parental sense to it. And Jesus is going to talk to the world, okay? To the open ocean like it's his child. Now, I think tomorrow, do you guys have beach time tomorrow? Tomorrow you guys are going to have beach time. I think when you get out to the beach, what happens is the beach, like the director of the camp, is going to be like, hey, this is a great beach. Thank you guys for being here. We want you all to be safe. Please don't go into the ocean. That's what they're going to say. And you guys play games on the beach. And if you want to swim, you have to swim in the lake because the lake is not the ocean. And, um, and so she'll say something like, and I remember this very vividly from last year because my children were playing in the ocean while she said it. She was like, this is one of the most dangerous stretches of coast 
it's not safe to play in here. And I was like, Michelle, come back. Um, and, uh, and so like, she's going to give you this whole speech about how those waves are very dangerous and how it's really powerful. And you guys are going to look at it. And some of you, like, if you're like a 16-year-old boy, you'd be like, I could probably take it. And don't do it, okay, because you will die. Um, and, and so like, it's just this, like, we, we stare at the ocean and we're moved by its majesty and its power. And Jesus is going to treat it just like I talk to my kids. He's going to look at the ocean and be like, no, thank you. No, thank you, waves. Stop splashing, please. I don't want to get wet tonight. Like, unreal power escalation. Like, the ultimate power move. Like, if you're a dude and you're trying to study on how to look really cool, and, you know, somebody comes up to punch you in the face, and you're just like, oh, wow. And you touch them with your finger, and they're gone. And everybody's like, wow, don't mess. That's what Jesus does here to the world, to the earth. Like, your tribe names were like earth, wind, water, and fire. And one of those things, two of those things, wind and water, are known as like these powerful, amazing elements. And in this particular culture, the only person who could tell the wind and see what to do was God. The only person who had control over the sea was God. Fishermen looked to God and said, look, the sea is unpredictable. It is, it is a dangerous, dangerous world. The only person who can control it is God. We are respectful of it. We are afraid of it. There's this very reverent stance towards the ocean. And Jesus wakes up and says, this is in my dominion. This is under my command. Just like the sickness you've seen me heal. Just like the wisdom you've seen me give. Just like the love you've seen me demonstrate. I'm in control of the entire world. And he stands up and he says, peace be still. In my, my daughter's little storybook Bible, it says that he spoke and the waves recognized his voice because, of course, it was a voice they had heard before. Jesus gets up, he rebukes the wind and the waves, and he says, be still, and they are. Jesus speaks, and he's, he's beginning to show himself as God in this moment, reiterating the, the belief, so the disciples here, he's, he's made these claims about being God, and the disciples are going to look to him and say, who is this guy? If, if you notice, Jesus is going to ask them in a second. We'll talk about the question he asks. Why are you so afraid? Do you, have, do you still have no faith? And he asked them why they're afraid. In the very next verse, it says, and they were terrified. No longer of the wind and sea. They were afraid of him. Jesus speaks. And what he's doing is he's showing them, proving to him, demonstrating to the people following him, demonstrating to the people on that boat that he is, without a doubt, the only God. He speaks and he's, he's reliving Genesis 1 when God creates the entire world with words. In John 1, it, it describes Jesus as the agent of creation, as the living embodiment of the word of God. And in Genesis 1, God, it says the whole world is dark, formless and void. There's nothing that exists. And God is sitting in heaven and he begins to create the world by speaking. The power, the amazing power, the raw power of the word of God where he says, let there be light. 
and there was light. Let, let there be earth. Let there be a land, a mass that separates the sea from the heavens. Let there be birds in the sky. He starts creating, and as he says these things, they're born, and Jesus is saying, I am the same God. I am demonstrating that same power over creation that was there from the beginning. I am him. When he wakes up from a nap and says, peace, be still. So Jesus is asleep, and then Jesus speaks, and then Jesus asks. He says, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Now, I want you to, I want you to look at that question and recognize that Jesus is not belittling the disciples. He's not going, look, I got it, see? It's under control. He's shifting the object of their belief. He's saying that, that you, you looked at the storm, you were overwhelmed by your circumstance, but I'm asking you to believe in me. He's made these proclamations about himself. He has said, I am, I am the Lord. I am the way. I am God himself. I am the Son of God. God is my Father. He makes all these claims throughout the New Testament that make it impossible for us to believe that Jesus is anything other than what he says that he is and that he demonstrates that in power. And so when he, when he asked the disciples, why are you afraid? You still not believe. He's not telling them, you guys really need to get your act together. That would be very unlike the rest of the Jesus we meet in the New Testament. He's telling them, do you believe? Do you see who I am? And their response to me is, is perhaps the most indicative of the human response and what many of our responses have been in the past what many of our responses will be when we come face to face with the real Jesus. This is not a make-believe Jesus. This is not VeggieTales Jesus, alright? That's not a knock on VeggieTales. This is not cartoon Jesus. This is great, big, powerful Jesus. This isn't the Jesus that we just ask into our hearts so that maybe we get to be in heaven with all of our friends. This is Jesus that says, if you see my face, you will bow in fear and reverence. You will be afraid. And I am telling you that you do not have to be afraid because I love you. See, the disciples are afraid because they think they're going to die. And Jesus says, you can still die. I could let this storm happen. Why are you afraid? What do you believe in? What are you chasing? What are you trying to get to? He's pushing on the disciples' belief because what they believe in is a very small, itty-bitty, teeny-tiny little God. A teacher. Someone who gives out wisdom. Somebody who can help them if they run to him in a moment of need. And Jesus says, I am the ruler of all things. I am powerful over the entire earth. I, I will capture your heart, your affections, your emotions, but I will not be. I will not be relegated to some other role of 
tag in Jesus, add on Jesus, Jesus plus whatever it is that we're trying to accomplish, Jesus that gets me to my dreams, I won't be that Jesus. I am the Jesus who rules over all of creation. And here's the most amazing part to me, as the disciples stand terrified that Jesus is establishing himself as this all-powerful person, what Jesus is inviting the disciples to, he's not reprimanding them with the question, he's inviting them to true fellowship with the only one who deserves to be followed. The theme of this camp is follow. And, And I believe that all of us in this room We are going to follow someone. We're going to follow something. Paul says in Romans 6 that you will be slaves to something. You can be slaves to sin. You can be slaves to righteousness and to God. You can be slaves to yourselves, to your own nature. And what Jesus does here, I want to quickly sort of summarize this, this belief in my heart. When Jesus displays power over nature... He is establishing himself as the only person worth following. When Jesus displays power over the wind and the water and the sea and the waves and the rest of the earth, he's establishing himself as the only person worth following. Who was the first person ever created? Adam and Eve. Okay, Adam was the first person ever created. Turn to Genesis 1. Very beginning of the Bible. Should be like page seven. Just guess. Genesis 1. We're going to read verse 28. So God just created the entire world. It took 27 verses. It was cool. He spoke. Everything just happens after God speaks. And then he says, I want to make man in our image, after our likeness. So he creates man and woman, and he sets them in the garden. He's going to give them this command. I want you to pay attention to what he says here. This is verse 28. It says, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. That means I want you to make lots of babies. And then he says, I want you to fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. God creates Adam and Eve. He sets them in the garden. And he says, you are in charge of all of nature. You're in charge of everything. You rule over the earth. You have dominion. That's power. That's authority. You tell the earth what to do. You have power over the animals. You have power over the plants. I'm giving you free reign over the entire earth. He sets them in the Garden of Eden. He says, I want you to make the rest of the world look like this place. Be fruitful. Multiply. Have lots of children. Teach your children this command. I want you to make the earth reflect my glory. He sets up this great conquest and immediately what happens in Genesis chapter 3 is Adam and Eve turn from this. This is sin. Two chapters later, they turn from this belief and they are they are tricked by one of the animals they were supposed to have authority over. The serpent. 
They were tricked by one of the plants that they were supposed to have authority over, the tree of knowledge and good, of, of good and evil. They were tricked by the, the plants, they were tricked by the serpent, and they were tricked by their own nature. They were tricked by their own sinful desire to be like God, to be more than God. They were deceived by these things. And I'm going to tell you this, that every single one of us, and I, I say that confidently, I'm not the kind of guy who's going to stand up here and go, oh, every one of you is going to do this. Every single one of us has been, is being, will be deceived by our own nature. We will be slaves to our own sin, to our own desire, to our own ambition, to our own lusts, to our own passions, to our own images, to our own deceptions. We will be slaves to those things, to our own nature, or, and, or, we will be slaves to nature. We will begin serving and, and worshiping and giving to something that is outside of ourselves that we were meant to have dominion over. For years and years and years, men were defined in the world. They were known as men, true masculine men, by their ability to defeat their nature. And sin has so distorted that, that we suddenly become men who are defied by giving in to our nature. The most masculine men in today's world are the ones who can, who can be with the most women and make the most money and deceive the most people and have the greatest followings. And that's, that's complete 180 from the way God designed the world. That the way the people worth following were the ones who could defeat their nature, who could defeat the nature that they needed. Somebody who could say, I'm not a slave to my stomach. I'm not a glutton for food. I'm not a slave to my lust. I'm not a slave to my own workaholic nature. I'm not a slave to my own ambition. I'm not a slave to this power. I'm not giving myself over to these things. I have defeated nature. I've ruled over nature. Those are the people we're following. And I'm going to tell you this truth. There are none of them aside from Jesus. Jesus establishes himself as the second and greater Adam, as the only person who has ever been able to defeat nature. Not just the wind and the waves, but death. And also, the only person who was able to conquer his own sin. He was like us in every way, but was without sin. We don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with us. This is Hebrews 4. We don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with, with us. He was like us in every way. He was tempted like us in every way. And yet, he was without sin. So we can approach the, th the throne of boldness with confidence because he was without sin. The only person worth following is the one who could defeat nature and defeat his own nature. There are millions, there are billions of people in this world. Billions. There are millions of people who are going to tell you to follow them. I mean, the, the language we use on social media is very clear, right? If you're going to click on the little thing next to them on Instagram, it says follow. People have millions and millions of Instagram followers. You can follow someone on Twitter. Somebody's going to say, follow me, I'll show you how to be successful in the business world. Follow me, I'll show you how to get girls. Follow me, I'll show you how to be an elite athlete. Follow me. Everybody's saying, follow me. And if you're like me, if you're a true rebel who doesn't want to follow anybody, then you just follow yourself. You make your own rules. Somebody tells you, go left, you go right, just because you can. 
We are all following somebody. And in this story, Jesus says, I am the only person worth following. He shows you, he shows me, that he has power over the wind and the waves. He has power over his own sin. He has power over the entire universe. This is why the disciples are terrified. They're not afraid of the water anymore. They're afraid because of Jesus' power. They're afraid because Jesus reigns. But here's the thing. He's worth following because he loves us. See, if you follow someone who is a slave to nature, someone who's out for their own gain, then that road leads to death. You'll get burned by them. You'll be burned by your own passions if you're a slave to those desires. You can trust nature. And the disciples are terrified of the raw power, the raw strength and and amazing demonstration that they see in Jesus. And the invitation Jesus gives them is that it's not safe to follow him, but it's good. We can trust him because he loves us. He never promises us that he's not going to allow us to endure storms. He promises us that he's the one who controls the storms. He promises us that our nature, the sinful nature that we face in the mirror every day that Sam was talking about earlier when he said, this is, I I look at myself and wonder if anybody could ever really like me. And Jesus says, I've seen every single bit of that and I love you. I have warred against that in myself to love you. So here's my question for you. Who are you following? Who is it? What is it? We're gonna, we're gonna start to respond to these words. We're gonna sing some more. We're gonna go to small group and we're gonna talk about this, this story, this question. Who are you following? If you were honest, if you really had that conversation tonight, if you really told someone in your account, if you really were open and honest and you said, who are you following? What are you following? What are you chasing? Who are you pursuing? A girl? A boy? A dream? A job? A school? A status? The promise of all of those things is that they will end and they will let you down. And Jesus says, I'm the only one worth following.